welcome, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, last week we began uh, 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 talking about the Holy Spirit through Pentecost, and it was lovely to have Austin, uh, who was filling in for me for the week. It was nice to sit there in the front row and to get a little bit of a break. Um, my name is Trevor, if I haven't introduced myself already, and I'm the lead pastor here at Risen, and it's just a joy to be with you on this Sunday morning. There's no place I would rather be on Sunday morning than worshiping with you people. So um, it's good to be with you. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you this morning to open up to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, because that's where we'll spend a few minutes t- together this morning. We uh, Last week, if you were here, um, Austin preached on Pentecost Sunday, And Pentecost Sunday is one of the major holidays in the church where in which we celebrate that God has given us his very presence, his very spirit, his Holy Spirit to indwell his people. And uh, that happens at Pentecost, and it's a glorious uh, moment as God ushers in uh, his church, his people, filled with his spirit to do what it is that he's called them to do. And so we started last week by talking about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we'll continue these next four weeks uh, really looking at the Holy Spirit. Because it's my sort of thinking that when you conceptualize God the Father, um, you probably have at least a general conception of what it means to say that God is our Heavenly Father or that God is God. Now, many of you are probably smart enough to know that when we say God is our Father, we're not picturing an old man on a cloud somewhere. But at the very least, the notion of Father or God as light and God as life and God as love, those, that makes sense to your, to your head. When it comes to Christ the Son or, or God the Son... Uh, we, I think it's even easier for us to conceptualize, right? Jesus is a real person who lives in a real time and a real place, who uh, was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect sinless life, who died on the cross, who was buried on the third day, rose again, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now rules over all creation in flesh as a person. We looked at this two weeks ago when we talked about the ascension. And I think of the three persons of the Trinity, probably the easiest to conceptualize is Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think we have a hard time. Father we get, the Son we get, the Holy Spirit, a little bit trickier for many of us. Some of us maybe came out of traditions where um, we never talked about the Holy Spirit. And others of us maybe came out of traditions where we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. But I think it's not uncommon to say that in most churches like ours, the Holy Spirit just does not get enough attention even though the Holy Spirit's desire is not to bring attention to himself, but to Jesus and to God the Father. This problem really is demonstrated in some of our old school language, right? Like old school language for the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. When we sing the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When our youngest son, Oliver, was, uh, was even just a little littler than he is now, um, at, at nighttime, um, Amber or myself, mostly Amber, would sing to him the doxology and would sing him this song. And so she would sing regularly that last part of the song, um, uh, uh, um, uh, 
Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. And Oliver would sing, Holy Spirit. Um, he would change it. And we would say, Son, it doesn't rhyme. Um, it doesn't, it's supposed to be heavenly host, Holy Ghost. And he would say, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, what does it mean to say that God's Holy Spirit is a Holy Ghost? Um, we as Christians believe that, uh, that God is Three persons united in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we always use the language Him. The Holy Spirit is a Him. Not because the Holy Spirit is a man, please don't mishear me, but because our only sort of um, non-gendered pronoun that is, not, that is still, we don't have a non-gendered pronoun that's not impersonal. Our other option for referring to the Holy Spirit would be something like it. We would say the Holy Spirit is an it, but the Holy Spirit is not an it because the Bible teaches again and again that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is God, is capable. He is capable of being grieved. He is capable of convicting us. He is capable of empowering us, of inspiring us. He is, hey, he, he, Jesus says that he has come to help us in John 14. So the Holy Spirit is a him, not an it, but not a man. It is God's very presence, the third person of the Trinity, who carries us through life. Last year, our family attends a summer camp um, in the fam called Family Camp every summer. And last year, there was a speaker at that family camp. And as he was preaching, he preached a sermon where he said, uh, you know, some churches have a different trinity. And my ears kind of perked up at that language. Where's he going with this, right? And he said, some churches have a different trinity. Some churches worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. And a sort of like, hmm, kind of moved throughout the room as people <laughs> contemplated what that meant. And we had some other families who were part of our church who were with us. And, and even though I, I think the point he was making was certainly exaggerated, I think he was trying to press in on the reality that for many of us, we, we don't just spend enough time really thinking about the Holy Spirit, focusing on the Holy Spirit, understanding the Holy Spirit. Again, some of us have a ton of experience because maybe you came out of a charismatic background or a, a, a more like Assemblies of God background or a Pentecostal background. Um, and so when, when you think about the Holy Spirit, that, that was a, a predominant lens by which you uh, viewed uh, God was you just thought about the Holy Spirit all the time. Some others of us, like we, get, we grew up in maybe Presbyterian backgrounds or high church backgrounds, in which I think it could be argued that you just don't hear much about the Holy Spirit. And I'm not really knocking either of these per se, so much as I'm talking about the ways in which the Spirit can either be brought to the kind of forefront or maybe de-emphasized and sometimes left misunderstood. Maybe some of you have no church experience, and so you're already kind of in a situation where you're going, what's this guy's about to talk about the Holy Spirit? I have no idea what we're talking about at all, let alone for the next few weeks. But nevertheless, we decided, I decided leaving Mount Hermon and leaving our family camp experience last year thinking, you know, I think it would be good on the other side of Pentecost for us as a church to look at some of the passages where in which we are explicitly instructed um, to experience, to encounter, to be shaped by God's Holy Spirit. And so we'll do that over the course of the next few weeks together. 
So if you have a Bible again, we're going to kick this week off. We Pentecost last week. This week, be filled with the Holy Spirit out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. If you have a Bible, open up there, and we will walk through the text. But first, I'm going to do something I don't always do. I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 21, because I want you to see this key phrase and where Paul places it, where God places it in the text for our benefit. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. This is what the text says. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexually, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, this whole text is about being like God. I mean, who doesn't want to be like God? And so, so much of the text deals with walking and talking like your heavenly Father. 
You may have heard the phrase, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, like father, like daughter, like mother, like son, right? There's a sort of sense where in which sometimes you'll see a child and then you'll, you'll just see they'll do something, they'll say something, they'll, they'll, they'll phrase something a particular way and you'll look at them and you'll say, man, that's just like their parents. You look just like your parents. Even children that are adopted will take on the mannerisms of their parents. And so they'll be like, man, you do that just like your mom, just like your dad. This whole text says to the church in Ephesus, do you want people to look at you and to say, man, that's just like your heavenly father. The way you walk, you walk like you're a child of God. You you imitate your your heavenly father. It's clear that you're a member of the family because of the way you walk and the way you talk and the way you conduct yourselves. If you want that, if you want people to look at your life and say, you're like your father, you're like God, well, what do we have to do? And in Ephesians 5, after giving a long set of instructions, there's a sort of hinge verse about our our interaction with God and how it makes everything possible, even through the rest of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, be filled. And so this morning, as we look at this verse 18 through 20, here's kind of my outline. Um, None of them rhyme, and none of them begin with the same letter. Um, That may be challenging for some of you. But this is it, and we'll walk through it together, and I think hopefully you'll leave this morning with a greater understanding of what does it mean to encounter, to experience, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's begin by um, that first part, which says, be filled. This is a command of God in in verse 18. Ephesians 5.18 is a command. This is not an option. It's not a suggestion for the Christian. It is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And at the same time, we can all pretty easily acknowledge that's a hard thing to do. It's hard, and it's been hard for many people to sort of, uh, throughout the time, have been looked at this, and they've said, hold on a second. This is, um, this is what's called a passive verb. Be filled with the Spirit. And so how, how do I be filled with the Spirit? A passive verb is a hard thing to obey. If I said, be texted by your mother this afternoon, Say, okay, I, I don't know how to do that, right? Right? Be, be, be loved by your husband today, okay? I, I, don't, I don't know how exactly I am to do that, right? What does it mean to obey this command where we are called to obey? See, when we think of being filled with the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, the language we typically think of when we think of filling is all like liquid language, If I ask most of you, like, what does it mean to fill something, your first instinct is probably going to be to think of some sort of vessel, maybe a cup or a pot, and you're going to think of some sort of liquid that's poured in, and as the liquid comes up, it will come up near the top, and you'll have this sort of image of a a filled glass, and you'll say, well, that that glass is filled, and so it's tricky because if I am a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit, how am I to fill myself with the Holy Spirit? How I'm not... I'm, I'm I'm not the pourer. I'm just the vessel. So how how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, our imagination when it comes to being filled is often around liquid, but the Bible's imagination around the Spirit and being filled is not around liquid. It's around wind. The Greek word and the Hebrew words for the Spirit are the words for breath. The word for wind. 
And so we have to change our model of thinking for just a moment as we think about what does it mean if the Spirit is like wind for us to be filled with the Spirit? Maybe you might think of it in an ancient sort of way, which is um, a, a shofar, which is a kind of trumpet, right? You've got this, this, this ancient trumpet called a shofar, which is a ram's horn, which is blown um, uh, by God's people throughout history. And what happens to that, that trumpet? If it gets a little bit of, of breath in it, it doesn't do anything. If you, if you, in fact, if I, I don't have a shofar here, but if you ever, if you ever see a shofar uh, and you get to put your lips on it, I don't know why you'd get to do that, but if you do, um, you should pick one up and blow in it, and it's going to be terrible. Um, it's it's going to be terrible. It's not going to make much noise because you don't, know how to, you don't know how to fill it with your breath, fill it with air. But when a shofar is filled with air, it lets out a, a, a bellowing kind of sound that shakes the nation. And so when, when you're hearing, be filled with the Spirit, the, the image is not so much cup and liquid. It's not so much being poured to the top and then what do I do now? It has to do with sort of the breath or the wind of God filling us. And so maybe you think trumpet. My favorite analogy is not trumpet, but it has to do with sailing. Have any of you ever been sailing before? Anybody been out in the open water sailing? Some of you, I know we've got some sailors in the, in the audience actually this morning. Um, for, my, uh, for my bachelor party, when I got married um, and I had a bachelor party, what I decided I wanted to do was like, I, I didn't want to do anything that was, uh, I had no interest in that, that town in Nevada where everything seems to stay. Um, I had a lot of interest in doing something that was far more memorable and I had a friend at the time who was a sailor and I said, let's go sailing. So I had, uh, some friends of mine, we all came down and we went sailing for a whole day and it was, it was, it was just incredible. Um, and sailing to me is a much clearer image of the kind of relationship I think that we ought to have um, with God when it comes to obeying this kind of command. Because my, my second point has to do with, um, are we talking about sort of uh, disciplines or are we talking about experiences? And, and here's why I say that, right? Because uh, some of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you came out of a really conservative background, you probably think purely in terms of what you have to do. There's actually this passage in, uh, in Ephesians, there's a sort of parallel passage around the household codes in Colossians, which, um, which says that we are to, uh, we're, it talks about dwelling, that the word of God dwell in you richly. And so often if you come out of a conservative background, your tendency is to think that, well, if I'm going to be filled with the spirit, it's really all about what I do. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need, to, um, I, need to do, uh, I need to show up on Sunday. I need to participate in the life of the church. I need to do, I need to give to the poor. I need to, I need to do all the things that I'm called to do as a Christian. If I do those things, that's it. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I understand that, but I don't think that's entirely the whole picture. On the other hand, if, again, you came out of a sort of charismatic background or you came out of a Pentecostal background, you probably think through this, Primarily through the lens of experience, that, that, that being filled with the, the Holy Spirit is a kind of experience that you should have. And when some of us hear that language of experience, we get a little bit skeptical. And I think rightfully so. I think sometimes the most damaging sentence in all of Christendom is God told me to do blank. 
um, or I'm just sensing that God's telling me to do this, or I think that can be abused and misused. But I also think that those people who understand that being filled with the Spirit means actually experiencing the presence of God in a unique way sort of look over at those who are just like, just read your Bible more, and they got to think, That's, there's got to be more to it than that. Is that what it means when we say be filled with the Spirit? Just keep doing the same sort of habits and disciplines? And this is why I like sailing. Because right now you can drive down to Marina Del Rey and you can see the marina and you can see a lot of boats out there and you can see that most of them are kind of stuck in the harbor. Um, and you can take one of those boats and you can, uh, with permission of course, you can try to take it out onto the water um, and you can keep the sails down and uh, this won't surprise any of you, nothing will happen. You'll just kind of drift slowly. And that's because what we know intuitively through sailing is that if you want to sail, if you want to really get out in the water and you want to get moving, there are things you've got to do. You've got to figure out what, where, what, what direction the wind is blowing in. And then you've got to like hoist up the sails and you've got to adjust things so that it catches the wind just right. And if it catches the wind right, then it will propel you forward. So, so is it, if you're, is it a sort of just what you need to do? Well, the answer is if you don't do anything, you will not experience the thrill of having your sails filled with the wind off the ocean. Like, you won't experience that at all. But is it just experience? No, certainly it's not just experience. If you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. It's, it's sort of an experience that emerges out of the right disciplines. And so... If you want to experience a sort of filling of God, and in the Bible we see all the time that, um, that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's true. But if you read the book of Acts, there are these moments where Peter, who has the Holy Spirit, it will say that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he did something. And there, you read this, this book and you, you start to wonder, wait, God, is, this, is there any sort of experience of you in which I ought to long for? And I think sailing is a great image for this very reason. Because sailing reminds us that there's something we do and there's something also that God does. Now, no sailor, if his, if his, if his sail was up and, and, the, and the wind was filling the sail and he's cruising around, no sailor would say, look at how fast I'm making our boat go. Because the sailor understands that everything about that is really a matter of the wind. It's just catching the wind. It's seeing where the wind is blowing. It's never the power of the sailor is never in himself. It's always in the wind. But the opposite kind of way of, of living this out or failing to live this out, I think looks like another kind of, uh, another kind of boating experience. Also, um, when our family goes to uh, family camp, there are these rowboats. And I think there's like a, a secret sort of little game that happens in my family um, about like who has to do the rowing. Um, and, and because when you get into a rowboat and you have these big oars and you're, um, and you're going down this little creek and you're pulling with all your might and you're, and you're make it go left, make it go right, make it one person just, and you get done and the next day your shoulders are tied and your back is sore and you never really went fast and you kind of just are surprised if you didn't bump into too many things. And, and, and that picture I think is the picture of a lot of Christians' relationship to the Spirit. That rowing thing is to use just your muscles. I think that's what Paul kind of means when he says to operate according to the flesh. 
Like just that I'm living with God, but it's really all in my own strength and in my own power. And I'm not looking to God, and I'm not saying, Lord, I need you, and I need your spirit to fill me. I need your spirit to move me. I need you to take me to where I cannot go on my own. Some of you are Christian rowers, and you're exhausted. Your muscles are tired. One of my all-time favorite quotes, Francis Schaeffer, in the 1970s was asked, what is the biggest challenge facing the church? And he answered this. He said, the biggest challenge facing the church is the church attempting to do the ministry God has called it to do in the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. He thinks the greatest problem facing the church is that we will attempt to live the Christian life apart from God. Now that seems like a foolish thing. What kind of idiot would wake up in the morning and think, God, I can follow you faithfully without you? And yet so many of us, if we looked at our prayer lives, if we looked at even how we read the Bible, if we looked at how we showed up for our church on Sunday, so many of us are just doing things without any desire to rely on God to carry us to where we could not go in our own strength. So some of you are rowers. You're, you're trying to live the Christian life in your own power. And the first place I would look, if I could just look into your life, would be your prayer life. The first place I could look to discern whether or not you are trying to live in the power of the spirit or in the power of the flesh is how often you pray and what you pray for. Because if you have no prayer life, then your posture before God namely is, God, I got this. I can do this. Whereas the Christian who knows that they're called to live before God ought to be on their knees praying regularly saying, God, I can't do anything you've asked me to do without your help. I can't be the father you've asked me to be, the wife you've asked me to be, the sister you've asked me to be. I can't be the daughter or the son. I can't be the friend. I can't be the church member. I can't do anything. I can't obey a single command apart from you, God. So I need you, God, to help me do what I could not do on my own. That is filling your sails, hoisting them up, responding to the wind. And when you get this right, it'll look like you're being taken somewhere. Notice the comparison between drunkenness. Notice the strange little phrase that Paul uses in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You you, you hear this and you kind of wonder, like, what kind of comparison is that? Like, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the connection with that? And so some people will talk about how the church in Ephesus was filled with people who had left particular religions where in which ritualistic drunkenness was a normative practice. And so they think Paul is trying to say to them, hey, I know that you used to think about worshiping God through the lens of drunkenness. Don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I think that has some merit. But when, but the reason I love this, right, um, is because... Uh, At Pentecost, one of the first things that happens is that they are filled with the Spirit, and then they start to, the people start to think that they're maybe a bit drunk. In fact, Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk. How can we be drunk? It's only 9 in the morning, which means their church was meeting at 9 in the morning. Anyone want to start meeting at 9 in the morning? Peter says it's only 9 in the morning. 
How can, of course we're not drunk. And I know some of you are like, I've been drunk at 9 in the morning. I don't know, Peter, what Peter's talking about. But Peter says we're not drunk. But why is drunkenness this assumed thing? Well, I love this old um, way of thinking about this through uh, 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 the, the pastor and preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he talks about um, when someone gets drunk, if you get drunk and you drive a car and you get pulled over for drunk driving, which you should never do, it's an awful thing, but if you do it, um, it's called you get a DUI, right, which is driving under the influence. And we understand that when you were driving the car, that, that, that it was you, but we also understand that you were under the influence of alcohol. And I think that Paul, when he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, what, what he's trying to say is drunkenness is sort of being under the influence of alcohol. It's to be uh, out of control. It is to be sort of uh, less faithful, less human, um, less like the person you're supposed to be. It opens you up to all kinds of problems. One of the reasons drunkenness is bad, and I think we know that from experience, it's bad for our bodies, it's bad for our brains, it's bad for our decision-making, it's bad for our drive, it's bad for all kinds of things. But, but I do think think that this image is right, namely, you are, as a Christian, not to be so much under the influence of alcohol, but you should, your life should look like you are under the influence of God. That's what it means, to to be under the influence. It's to say before God, God, I want to be, I don't don't just want your Holy Spirit, I want to be filled with your spirit. So fill me with your spirit. I want to experience you, God. I want to be under your influence so that when people look at my life, what they would say about me is that my life looks like it's kind of being carried somewhere by God. That's a great picture, I think, of the kind of people we want to be. But we'll never be people who are under the influence of God if we are not doing the things we must do in order to allow God to fill us. Because the Holy Spirit, like wind, is blowing. And we have to ask, are we doing the things that we ought to do to catch that wind so that we can go where God wants us to go? How often are you praying, God, fill me with your spirit? I want today to be under your influence. I want people to look at me, and I want them to say about me, you're you're somehow under God's influence. You're more in control, and you're more human, and you're more faithful, and you're more filled with joy, and you're more filled with patience. Somehow your life just looks like you've got got something blowing in you, but it's not from you. It must be from God. So... With that said, what do we do? What are these things that we ought to do in order to experience and be and, uh, um, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we do this, right? Well, Paul does this great thing. He gives just four quick things, and they will be quick as we sort of wrap up here. Um, four quick things that we are to do because, one, in doing them, we are, um, we are inviting God to fill us. And secondly, uh, they're the things that we do when we are filled, So it's kind of both, and it's both something that that leads to our filling and expresses our filling. And here's the four things. Paul, the first thing he says in verse 19, so this is kind of one big sentence. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? And Paul says it looks like this. One, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
So one of the first things that Paul says is if you want to experience more of the goodness of God, show up here on Sunday gathered together and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Right? That, that, that's, I mean, when you think spirit-filled Christian, do you think, man, it's someone who shows up on Sunday ready to sing? That's what Paul thinks. It is, it's, we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The one-anotherness, right? The togetherness of that text. Because it, it, as you declare, as you testify, as you sing of the goodness of God, um, his spirit will begin to fill you. And the Holy Spirit loves, loves to take the truths of God and just set them, just set them aflame in your life. Loves it. The Holy Spirit loves to take God's word and make it alive in you, especially as we sing it. So the Spirit loves to draw us upward into the presence of God and into Christ and into our Father as we are singing these songs. You want to be a Spirit-filled Christian? Sing. Sing. Okay, but, but, but don't miss this. Secondly, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, so Paul says a spirit-filled Christian shows up on Sunday morning and they are singing songs. They're singing songs to one another, but they're also singing and making melody to the Lord with their hearts, which means the words aren't empty, which means that, that we're not just going through the motions. Anybody can come in here on a Sunday morning and just lift their hands and just walk through the motions and just sing songs that they don't really mean. You want to be a spirit-filled Christian? Let the songs that you sing on Sunday morning reflect genuinely the reality of what your heart loves, namely the Lord. How many of you, if God walked into this room during our singing, God would say, you're singing the songs, but your heart is somewhere else. I want your heart, not just your lips. I want the song but I want the song as an expression of what your heart loves. Do you love me with all your heart? Some of you are way too concerned about the person next to you than you are about the God you're singing to. And we just sing, we do, we sing afraid. I, I can't sing at all. My voice is terrible. I, but I'm not here for you, primarily. <laughs> I'm not singing to you, primarily. It is beautiful. I... This is an aside. When, when we have had people in the church who are struggling, and, and I have seen them on Sunday, even I know that they're really having a hard time, and I see them declaring before God, God, you're faithful. You're faithful. I trust you. I love you. It, it, it's, it, it fills me with the Spirit of God. It encourages me to hear you sing in the midst of your difficulty or when you're not difficult, when things are amazing and you're just giving God all the credit. Gosh, out there, everyone else gives themselves the credit. In here, God gets all the glory. So we sing to one another, but we also do it from our hearts to the Lord. The word of God, just scripture talks about this regularly, connects singing and music and our faith. Um, because, again, the Holy Spirit loves to take these truths and, and likes to just, just lift our, our, our spirits up to him. I'm not, look, a lot of churches can use music to be manipulative. That's not what I'm talking about. We have no interest in manipulating you. 
Um, but I do think what we do with our mouths and our bodies and our whole, I do think it affects our soul. So sing. Don't be a spirit-filled Christian, sing. Thirdly, um, what's the next thing he says? The next thing we're to do to be filled, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for always and for everything. Do you want to experience more of the Holy Spirit? Thank God for what he's doing in your life in the name of Jesus. Not just the things you like, but the things that you don't yet understand. That, that, that phrase is so important. You're not just thanking God for everything as if, like, God, thank you for this awful thing that happened to me. No, what I'm saying is, God, this awful thing that happened to me, I, I trust and believe that you will redeem it because you are God and you are good. And so thank you that I know that this difficult thing I'm going through, you will use. You, you start doing that and you'll experience the presence of God. Some of you, right, like you think throughout your week, you're, you're, you're in a low spot, um, you're try, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to at lunchtime stand up on a table and start singing praises to God. You're, you're not going to do that. But what you could do is if you want to experience the presence of God is to in the middle of the chaos of your life, stop and start praying and giving thanks to God for everything. Because when you thank God for everything, you're declaring, God, I trust you. God, I trust you more than I trust myself. God, this is, this, this is not the chapter I would write in this season of my own story, but I trust that you're a better author than I am. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that you can redeem all things, that you have promised life with you forever. Thank you that you can use this trial to develop characteristics in me that otherwise would not be developed for your kingdom and your glory. And when you do that, when you start thanking God, right, when you start praising God for things, C.S. Lewis said, um, it completes the joy. That giving praise completes the joy, right? If you've ever seen, like, a, if you've ever seen a really great movie, like, you just want to tell someone about it. Right? You just so hard, so hard to see an amazing movie and tell no one. Right? You see an amazing movie or you experience, hear an amazing song or something beautiful. You just, you gotta share it because you know that declaring, man, this was awesome, somehow completes the delight in it. And in the same way, when we declare to God, God, we're thank, thankful for everything. Thank you for this and thank you for this. This was so awesome. I'm so gr grateful for this. It completes the joy in it. Do you, if you want to experience being filled with the Spirit, learn to be a person who's thankful for everything in the name of Jesus. And lastly, the fourth thing, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This again seems kind of strange. Like, like, like you're, okay, let's go, let's go through this again. Singing, making melody in my heart, uh, thanking God for everything, and submitting to the people around me. Seems a bit strange, but... I want you to see the way that it's connected to being filled with the Spirit. If you are attentively responsive to the Spirit, you will also inherently be attentive and responsive to the needs of others around you. The most Spirit-filled people I know are not thinking about themselves a lot. They're thinking about the needs of others. And so you'll find yourself not just submitting to God, but to the people around you. Right? So like, 
And, and then Paul will go on in the rest of Ephesians 5. He'll talk about what this means for husbands and wives and parents and children, right? Um, like the people around you have needs. And so if you're filled with the Spirit and your desire to be filled with the Spirit, then you will take on the humility of God in the way that you serve and love one another. And again, I just, just a little theology correction. Like some of you, when you think be filled with the Spirit, do you think being a godly husband? Because that's what Paul thinks it is. When you think being filled with the Spirit, do you think as a, as, a, as a child, as a son or a daughter, like, man, being filled with the Spirit means honoring my parents? Because that's what Paul thinks it looks like. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so here's four things that Paul directly says that we are to do. And in doing those things, they are expressions of being filled with the Spirit, and they also create sort of a fulfillment of the command to be filled in the Spirit. So being filled with the, the Holy Spirit is both an experience and a discipline. And that's how you obey a passive verb. Um, so there is something I know in you that wants the experience of being under the influence of something else. It's why so many in our culture look for so many things to be under the influence of. But I, I know that there's something in you that wants joy and freedom and happiness and peace with God. And that is a good thing to desire, and you'll never find that at the bottom of a, of a bottle of wine. Because wine will ultimately corrupt you and dull your senses. But if you look for that in the Holy Spirit, who wants to set you free, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As you pursue him and as you're filled with him, you'll find yourself being filled with joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and experience of God you won't get from anything else. So if you don't know the peace of God, if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, you can this morning. You've heard us sing it. You've heard us declare it. We are all in this room sinners, and we are all in need of a Savior. And the best news in the world is that God has given us one. Jesus. Whoever repents of their sins, whoever believes that Jesus lived, died, rose again, whoever puts their faith and trust in him, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, anybody who receives Jesus will be saved and will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is good news. If you're here this morning and you don't have peace with God, God offers peace with you through the gospel. Repent and believe. Encounter God. Be changed. Find within yourself God reshaping, remaking, renewing, replacing your heart of stone with a heart of flesh so that you now learn to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And God promises that he'll give you that gift if you'll turn from your sins and turn to him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us this morning. We believe that you're here. You're dwelling amongst us. Fill us this morning. Give us the wisdom, the courage, the vision to hoist up our sails, to see the direction you're headed, that, that things are pointing to Jesus, his rule, his reign, his kingdom. Help us to live lives that are shaped by you in obedience to you, following faithfully you. But help us not to just have those be 
disciplines that we do without the experience of the joy that comes from the fruits of your spirit in us. Lord, we desire the experience of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us that experience as we manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which do not emerge from us in any way, shape, or form, but emerge by your Spirit in us. So bring these, spirit, these fruits to bear in our lives, in our world, in our marriages, in our homes, that we might be people who, who by encountering us, that we would give off the impression that we are under the influence of you, God. We don't, we're not, we don't want to serve ourselves, we want to serve you. So help us this morning to follow this command, to be filled with the Spirit. And as we sing a song, if we're about to sing, Lord, I pray that we would sing with our mouths and we'd meet it in our hearts because you are worthy. And so we love you and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that no matter where we go, you are with us. You never abandon us. We cannot hide from you. You are with us and you love us and you are good. And you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. So fill us with your spirit that we might live unto your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.